Good morning. I was telling my husband on the way to church this morning, I said, uh, this message is sort of like a casserole. <laughs> During my weeks uh, not ministering, you know, I'm seeking the Lord and listening, and he usually gives me inclinations about where I should be looking and studying, and I just had a whole bunch of them, you know? I was, you know, talk about seeing and hearing in the Spirit and how all of us have the capacity to do that. And then I was thinking about miracles because the Lord said that I'm going to work miracles. He is going to do them through me. Maybe we should study miracles. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> and then was fear, the power of fear. And then was the power of worship. And I'm like, okay, Lord, <laughs> let's nail this down. <laughs> and so the main topic this morning is fear. But my message is going to have all of that in it. So it is a little bit of a casserole. The title of this morning's message is The Word of Christ Destroys the Bugbears. You're probably thinking, what in the world is that? Does anybody here know what a bugbear is? Well, I'm only going to give you a hint at this point. A bugbear is something that causes fear. I'll actually explain what it is in a little bit. But that's what it is. The word of Christ destroys the bugbears in our life, the fears in our life. Why would God want me to minister on the subject of fear? I mean, we're Christians, right? We walk in faith. We walk in boldness. But you know, we don't walk in fear, right? Right? <laughs> what constitutes fear? Well, the Bible actually has degrees of fear that it talks about. There's what we call normal fear, apprehension. And then after that, there is dread. You ever dread having to go somewhere or see somebody or do a certain thing? Dread, that's, that's a kind of fear. And then there's worry. And then there's anxiety. And then there's terror. And then there's horror. I mean, it just goes from bad to really bad. <laughs> there's all kinds of fear. Bottom line is, God hates fear in the life of a believer. He hates fear. God is a God of love and a God of faith. There is no fear in God. None. So God hates fear. It is a work of the enemy. In particular, God hates what we call ungodly fear. So many Christians, they'll say, what we need today is the fear of the Lord. If Christians would get the fear of God, they would walk straight. You ever hear that one? <laughs> and I know what they mean, but their concept is skewed. Because of the words that God uses for fear of him is a healthy fear. It's not God's going to smack me or God's going to curse me, or God's going to shake his finger at me, or God's going to be disappointed with me. None of that is the fear of the Lord, as God describes it. The fear of the Lord is understanding how big and how powerful he really is. And our response to that revelation. When I was thinking about this, I envisioned the atomic bomb. When the atomic bomb was first discovered, people were in awe of how much power it had to bring destruction. You wouldn't throw an atomic bomb around the living room <laughs> because you'd have respect and awe for what it could do. That's the kind of awe that God talks about himself. But he wants us to understand that that power he has, that all-powerfulness, if he did not like us, 
wink of an eye, you're toast, you know. But he doesn't want to use that enormous power against his children. That is never his desire. But when we recognize how powerful our God is, it inspires us to be in awe, to have reverence, to have respect of his power. That's what God calls healthy fear. Ungodly fear torments. Ungodly fear is illogical. Ungodly fear is unprofitable and damaging. When people are afraid, what we normally do, especially like with children, do we tell them, don't be afraid? Is that helpful? No. There's nothing to be afraid of. What are we trying to do? We're trying to take logic and make something illogical go away. It doesn't work. You can't reason yourself out of fear. You can't reason a child out of fear. You can't reason yourself out of fear. Fear is basically illogical. I'll give you an example. I know both a missionary and a pastor who are bold as lions. They go to places like Africa and Guatemala. They face witch doctors and demons and every power of the enemy. My fluffy little Shih Tzu with pink bows makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> Is that logical? No, it's not logical. But yet they go, um, can you put that away? You're thinking, bold, mighty man of God. Fluffy little Shih Tzu? Pink bows, really? <laughs> That's not logical. I can tell them, this little Shih Tzu is saved. She's never nipped anybody. She's, she just wants you to rub her belly. She's a good little puppy. Really, nothing to worry about. See, that's logic. It does nothing for their fear. It might as well be a 400-pound mastiff who is in a bad mood, <laughs> even though it's just a fluffy little dog. Not logical. Fear is not based on the truth. Fear is not based in reality. It's always based on a lie. Today I'm hoping that when you leave here, you will better understand the root causes of fear. Perhaps you will be more willing to face the things that frighten you. And I hope to give you some ideas on how to not manage your fear, but to let Jesus facilitate the eradication of your fear. Because that is God's will for us, that we should walk not only flawless, but fearless. <laughs> Amen? Amen. So, this word, bugbear. Okay, God, you want me to study fear? What is it you want me to see? And he showed me that there was more than one word for the word for fear. The godly fear, and there's ungodly fear. In Deuteronomy 10, 12, and 13, it says this. This is Moses speaking. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. They had a covenant. You see, without a covenant, they had no protection. Without a covenant, they had reason to fear. Not God Almighty, but their neighbor. <laughs> 
it's amazing to me that today so many people say there is no God, but for since the beginning of time, all people groups have understood there are spiritual beings and there are concepts of God. And God shows up and says, look, I'm going to pick Abraham. I'm going to show you. I'm a real God. I am the one true and living God, and there is no other. I am all-powerful, and you don't have to be afraid of all these other little gods. That's what Egypt was all about. Each plague had to do with pushing over an idol and revealing the fact that the power of the one true and living God was more powerful than anything else they could fear. This kind of fear, and the good fear, is, is pronounced Yahweh. So that's the good, healthy kind of fear. And in God's mind, that kind of fear, that kind of awe, that kind of reverence has to do with worship. In fact, this word Yahweh is often translated worship. So you don't even get the concept of fear. Until I started looking at this, I really didn't, because I knew I wasn't supposed to be afraid of God. And I've always been taught awe and reverence. But it is understanding just how powerful He is. Just how incredibly strong and mighty. And when you see that power, when you see it demonstrated in your own life, when you see it working in other people's life, it brings awe and worship and gratitude and thanksgiving that it's for you and not against you. <laughs> that's the kind of fear associated with worship. And that's why it's sometimes actually translated worship. So when it says, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, it is reverence, awe, and worship. It is not afraid of punishment. In 2 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to read you a story here. And I want you to see just how much God doesn't want us to be afraid of anything. God associates fear with worship. That's God's concept, okay? That's not necessarily our concept. But God says what you understand is more powerful than you. What you are willing to put yourself under. And that's what fear is. You're saying you are more powerful than me and I submit to that. That's worship. Okay, so, but God knew that all the people groups who didn't understand who he was, even the Jews were not real good at this. <laughs> even though God said, I am a God of love. Number one, love nothing else. Worship nothing else. Understand that I am all powerful. If you do that, all this other stuff takes care of itself. Don't submit yourself to any other God. You see, I think in our current understanding of Christ, we understand worship to be about love and adoration and thanksgiving. Worship is expressing how much we appreciate who and what He is and what He has done. It is delighting in His presence and delighting in His love. In the Old Testament, they didn't look at worship that way. For all people groups, people who had all these false gods, it was about real fear, ungodly fear. It was, if I don't sacrifice to the sun god, he won't bring sunshine on my crops. And if I don't sacrifice to the rain god, he won't bring rain on my crops. And if I don't sacrifice to the fertility god, my wife won't bear sons. <laughs> and if I don't, it was all about fear. It was never about love. It was never about worship. It was never about honor. It was always a way to try to avoid, push back the power of evil, which we know is a real power. Well, what happens to the Jews is 
they forget God. They had a nasty habit of forgetting God. <laughs> and because of that, they ended up being overtaken by the Assyrians. And I'm going to start reading in chapter 17, starting with verse 24. The king of Syria brought people from Babylon, Kuhath, Avav, Hathmath, Saravaram, and placed them in the city of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. He took all of the rich people out of Israel and replaced them with all these other people groups. The Assyrians, they weren't very good rulers. Well, what they wanted to do was to instill fear in their people. So what they would do is they would uproot them from everything they knew and move them away and replant them. This turned out, in, according to history, to be not a good way to take over large <laughs> territories. <laughs> it didn't work well. People didn't, didn't get along well. So it wasn't very successful. So this is what was happening. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. And at the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. They did not worship him. They did not honor him. They did not recognize him. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them. This is their understanding. This is not God's understanding. <laughs> and at the beginning of their dwelling, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of that land. They understood the concept of principalities and powers, that certain small g deities <laughs> had uh, power over certain regions, demons of course. Therefore he sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they do not know the law of the God of that land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there, and teach them the law of the God of that land. So one of the priests they whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord, the one true and living God. But every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. In other words, even though they said, obviously the God who dwells in this land, the God of the Jews, if we sacrifice to him, he will prevent the lions from coming and getting us. We still need gods for fertility and we still need gods for rain and we still need gods for bugs, and we still need gods for hunting. Everything was about fear. Worship to them had nothing to do with love and everything to do with warding off evil. Christians have taken this concept. If I'm going to ward off the curse of poverty by sacrificing to God, it is, an, it is a heathenistic idea. That's not how our God works. And, it doesn't really work with demons either. <laughs> Starting in verse 32, it says, And they feared the Lord and pointed from among themselves all sorts of people as priests. Okay, the God of that land, the God of the Jewish people, you don't just pick people you like and say, you be in charge. It's not how it's done. They were making it up as they were going. Who sacrificed for them in the shrines and the high places. So they feared the Lord, so to speak. But they also served other gods after the manner of the nations from whence they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord. In this particular section I'm going to read here, 
I'm using the ESV simply because it's easier to read than the King James. The King James translates the word I'm going to use for fear, fear. The NIV translates the same exact word, worship. Interesting. The NIV is not incorrect. It can be literally translated worship. But when you look at the context of this, the better understanding, because it can be both, and it is both in God's sight, can be worship but it should be better understood as fear because they were fearing, they were not honoring. They were trying to ward off evil. They were not trying to express gratitude. So fear is a much better translation in this particular context. To this day, they do according to their former manner. They do not fear the Lord. They do not follow the statutes or the rules or the laws or the commandments that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, you shall not fear other gods. They have a covenant. Covenant is all about protection, all about provision. He says, this awesome power I have, I'm in covenant with you. I'll use it all for you. Stay inside the boundaries of this covenant and you'll be safe. But they didn't. You shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves down to them or serve them or sacrifice to them. But you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him and to him you shall sacrifice. He is the one with all the power. He is the one that rescues you. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandment that he wrote for you, you shall be always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods. You shall not forget the covenant that I made with you. You shall not fear other gods. You shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all of your enemies. However, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. Did you hear a theme? <laughs> you shall not fear other gods. The word their gods, it's a Hebrew word that means bugbear. You don't find the word bugbear in the scripture itself. You find it in the Strong's Concordance. This kind of fear is ungodly. It is all about Satan and demonic activity. It has nothing to do with true worship. It's that kind of fear that God hates in our lives. When I was studying this, I thought, I never really thought about fear as bowing my knee to Satan. Bowing my knee to evil. But see, that's really what it is. It's not worship. Don't come under condemnation. <laughs> I just happen to recognize, I see what he was trying to say. If I think that whatever evil is greater than my God, then I've taken my God off the throne and replaced it with this false God. That's why he said, don't fear other gods. Don't fear idols. The word bugbear has to do with an idol. This word bugbear actually came about in the 1500s. That's why it's in the Strong's Concordance. <laughs> I had never heard the word bugbear. Bugbear has to do with trying to scare naughty children into behaving. <laughs> they would tell me, you ever hear of the boogeyman? That's where that word boogeyman came from. It came from this word bugbear. They also evolved into bugaboo. You can see it's about something that scares you. Bugaboo.
Most of us are afraid of bugs. <laughs> but is that logical? No, it isn't logical. I know grown adult men who are afraid of spiders. No, I'm afraid of spiders too, but my brain says grown adult men should not be afraid of an itty bitty bug. <laughs> Fear is not logical. It's based in an untruth. It's based in a lie. When I found this word that they use it to, it's anything that's annoying you or frightening you, whether it's real or imagined. Now, when I saw this, I thought, that is hysterical. That is hysterical, a bugbear. I'm gonna tell you why I thought it was so funny. When my daughter was three years old, she would wake up screaming in the middle of the night, the top of her lungs. And of course, you run in, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she would say, there is a bear in the closet. <laughs> and of course, you go and say, you open the door, honey, there's no bear. No bear, see, all safe. See, turn on the lights, let's pray. Okay, everything's all better, go back to sleep wakes up screaming, honey, there's no bear. It disappears when you open the door. <laughs> Is it logical? No, it's not logical. Is it real? Maybe, maybe not. Because the word bugbear can be an idol, a demon, okay? It can be the invisible bear <laughs> that is frightening a child. Sarah, at a very young age, was just very sensitive to the spirit to the Spirit of God, and obviously to, the, to other spirits as well. <laughs> Even in church service, when you would feel the presence of the Holy Spirit fall, we would be on the back pew, and she's coloring, and she'd hit me. Mama, God's here. I know. <laughs> she'd color some more, and it was like she was irritated that nobody else was noticing. Mama, God is here. I know, honey, shh, color. <laughs> I was amazed at that because you can't teach a child the presence of God. You can only instruct them in the truth that he is with them and that he is real. And the Holy Spirit manifests himself even to little children. Even when they're singing at the top of their lungs, the Holy Spirit ministers to small children. They are good receivers. That's why we don't make them leave. <laughs> we want them here in service. We want children to learn to worship. We want them to learn to recognize the presence of God. Amen? Amen. So this went on for quite a while. As a praying mama, I got my anointing oil out. I got my scriptures out. I did house cleaning. There is no demons in my house, period. And I thought, well, is it a storybook? Three bears? Is it something she saw on television? What is this, Lord? Because it kept happening night after night. Finally, I said, okay, Lord, tell me how to fix this. And he said, what if you treated it as if it was real? What if there was a real bear in her closet that disappeared every time you opened the door? I'm like, well, that's silly. He goes, uh, go with me here. <laughs> he said, how would you get rid of a real bear? I said, well, I would have to kill it. So, <laughs> so he says, so do that. Now, I made it a point not to lie to my children. I've tried telling her it's all gone. I've tried telling her Jesus took care of it. This is not working. He says, act it out. She wasn't home, she was at Head Start. So I said, okay, here we go. So I went and got these big boots on, grabbed myself a bat, 
because if this is a real bear, I'm not going up there unprotected. <laughs> so I stomp up the stairs, and I go to her room, and I open the closet door, and I say, in the name of Jesus, bear, I kill you. <laughs> I kill you, bear. Be dead. Be dead in the name of Jesus. <laughs> And I went back downstairs. And I, of course, you feel really silly. You're like, I'm glad nobody's watching. <laughs> and when she came home, I said, honey, the most amazing thing happened while you were at Head Start. She goes, what? I said, mommy and Jesus killed the bear. And she's like, oh, you did? I said, let me show you how I did it. And I reenacted the whole thing again. Now, you might think, well, that's just silly. But you know what? It never happened again. Because what the Lord had me do was give her a way for her to understand, to see it as real, that the power of Jesus was bigger, was bigger than any boogeyman, bigger than any bugaboo, bigger than any bugbear. <laughs> it wasn't that what she was afraid of was true. It's what she believed about its power was true. That's why telling a child, don't be afraid, is silly. That's why trying to tell an adult who's afraid, don't be afraid, is silly. Even if they're afraid of poofy little shih tzus. Because it's not silly. The fear is real. And that's what God wants to deal with, is the realness of our fear. As you can see from this passage of scripture, God says, do not fear any other gods, any other bugbear, anything that stands up and says, you need to be afraid of my power. Now that might be a disease. That might be a person. That might be poverty or lack. You see, we have bugbears <laughs> that come knocking on the door and they say, I'm a more powerful than your Jesus. And we have to know how to handle that fear because the fear is real, even if the lie isn't. The fear will cause us to be paralyzed. God doesn't want us to have any fear in our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit, but it is the spirit of the Holy Spirit. It is a spirit of love. He has given us a spirit of power. And that word is dunamis, miraculous working power. We can kill the bugbears in our lives but of power and of love, which is agape love, perfect love, powerful love, unending love, and of a sound mind. You know what a sound mind is? Many translations say, and self-control. If you are in fear, you are not in self-control. If you are submitting yourself to fear, you are not in control. The fear is. That's why God doesn't want us to have any other gods, bowing to any other kind of fear. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves as servants to obey, his servants you are? When we yield to fear, we're not yielding to faith. When we yield to fear, we're not yielding to Jesus. That's what's wrong with that. Fear is basically a recognition of, of another's power over me or at least my interpretation of that power. Believers are not to have any other master but Christ. 
The truth is, He has purchased us out of the dominion of sin and Satan and fear. An unhealthy fear always comes from Satan and his lies and his darkness. Do we find this in Scripture? Yes, we do. The very first place we find this concept of lies and darkness is the Garden of Eden. Why did Adam and Eve sin? Was sin a problem for them? No. But what was their problem? Something they believed. Satan said, come over here into this dark room. <laughs> come over here where I am. Let me tell you stuff I know about God. Come over here where you can't see the light of his glory. Come over here. <laughs> Let me tell you what's in the dark. The stuff you can't see. When the Lord just showed me the message about avoiding the pain of judgment, getting over the I think you think. Because that's darkness. I, if I can't actually see it, it's darkness. When I caught that revelation, you know what it did for me? Now when I see it, it's like, aha! That is darkness, that is a trap, that is a snare, and I'm not going in that room because I will stay out here in the glory and the light of my glorious Jesus where I am all powerful and I am completely victorious. I am not going in there! That's what we need to do with fear. We have to recognize that that's what it is we do in the first place, that this anxiety or nervousness or panic or sometimes it's just out and out, fright and horror and terror. And he does this to Christians. He does this to believers. And that's because he draws them into this place of darkness and he tells them lies that they believe. We have to stop believing his lies. But sometimes, sometimes that's really hard. You would think it would be easy, but see, that's logic. You see, we say, take the word of God and apply it and the fear will go away. Eventually it will. You know why it does eventually? You can do with me, you can get your boot and your bat and you can resist fear. And you should. <laughs> Recognize what it is and take it out. Say, I'm not having you in my life. I don't care where you're coming from. Don't permit it. But some fears don't go away that easy. It's because we don't know what it is, why we're actually afraid. What it is that we're actually believing. And that's what he wants to get to. Why do I feel afraid in this situation? What is the basis of the fear? So often we know I'm afraid, but we don't understand why. Most people would rather die than speak in public. Why? Why would they rather die than speak in public? You see, they know they're afraid, but they don't really understand why. Until they understand what they really believe about speaking in public, that fear will remain. That's the point. God wants us to know what's in our heart. What is it that we're really believing? Will I really die if I speak in public? <laughs> no, <laughs> you won't. Our hearts love experience, so we can practice our way out of some fears. And that's usually what counselors will have you do. They will have you face your fear and practice overcoming it. Role play it. Because to your heart, role playing is real. Okay? So that is one way that does work eventually. Deception is deceptive. That's the problem with it. When we are deceived, we don't know it. <laughs> the problem with deception is that we think something is true. I could not talk my three-year-old out of the bear in the closet. 
She believed it was real. The problem wasn't what was actually reality. The problem was what she believed. She believed it was true, but she believed a lie. When we believe a lie, we usually don't know it until the Holy Spirit helps us to see it. That's why it's so dangerous. But God has created us in such a way as to give us an alarm. When we're believing something that's not true about ourselves or about the Lord, we're going to have fear. That's an alarm. If I'm afraid, I'm believing something that's not true. So that's his alarm saying, pay attention to this. There's something in your heart. You've wandered into a dark place, and you need to know what's in there. Years ago, when the Lord taught me inner healing, I was helping other people with this ministry. But I didn't want to do it myself. And this inner healing ministry has everything to do with finding out what's in your own heart. Now, you don't go looking for it on your own. You don't do any of this on your own. It's all Jesus-led. You just follow Jesus through this whole process. And he shows up and does miracles. It's amazing. And he said, I want you to do this on yourself. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I have been a horrible person my whole life. I don't want to know what's in there. I'm pretty sure it's awful. I'm pretty sure if I saw it, I would die. <laughs> I don't want to go in there. And of course, he's gentle and he's faithful. And he just keeps wooing you. Come on, you can do it. You see, you can see how this is helping other people. Instant deliverance, instant healing. The kind of miracles you see in the Bible kind of stuff. I was like, yes, that's, I want that for everybody else. <laughs> you and me, we're doing pretty good all by ourselves. We, we don't need this. <laughs> And so he gave me a dream, because I told him, I don't want to. If you want me to do that, you're going to have to convince me. So I had a dream. And in this dream, I'm driving an SUV at night. I'm going to my house in the country. I don't actually have a house in the country, but in my dream I did. <laughs> and I with me is an eight-year-old girl, and she is so excited about this great house, because I am building up this house. I'm thinking, this is an awesome house. We've got secret passages. We've got playrooms. This is an awesome house. You're going to have so much fun. And so I'm really building it up, and she's so excited. And we get there, and I tell her, OK, you can go anywhere in the house you want to. Go find all the secret passages. Look behind all the bookcases. Find out where they lead. It's going to be such an adventure. And so she runs off to explore. And as she goes off, all of a sudden, oh, Something comes to my mind. Something comes to my remembrance. It's like, oh no. I cover my eyes. I don't want her to see that room. Oh, I better go lock it. And I run to lock this room because in my dream, I suddenly know there's something horrible in there. And if this little girl sees it, she will be destroyed. And as I get there, I look inside the room and the little girl is already standing in the room. And from the ceiling is hanging a dead man. And I turn away. God, oh no, Jesus. And I turn back. And the man is no longer dead. He's no longer hanging from the ceiling. He's on the sofa and she's ministering to him. And I woke up. And I knew it was a God dream. <laughs> I said, Lord, explain this to me. And he said, the prevalent, the most, the strongest emotion in this dream was not the excitement. The strongest emotion was the fear. That's usually a key to interpreting your own dreams. What's the strongest emotion? And the Lord said, 
you are the little girl. You're the eight-year-old. And you are the woman driving the vehicle. And you are the house. And your heart is all those rooms. And in one of those rooms, you are afraid that you will find nothing but horror and death. But he says, what you'll really find, if you let me go with you, what you'll really find is resurrection. What you'll really find is life, not death. See, fear is always telling us that it's all about death and destruction and the ending of things. But God says, no, I am all about resurrection and life and hope and joy and peace. If you take me with you, we together can find the life that I've placed in your heart. And you don't have to be afraid of the hurt and the pain and the death that you think resides there. That was his way of telling me, face what you're afraid of. You don't have to face it alone. But face what you're afraid of. God never sends fear into our lives. This kind of fear is never from the Holy Spirit. Even if God needs to warn you about something dangerous, there will be no fear in it at all. None. I used to go pick up this young lady for church. She was oppressed. She had accepted Christ, like through a street ministry, but she had not been discipled. She didn't know, really know anything about Jesus. And I started picking her up for church. And one morning, I pile all my children into the car, and we go to pick her up. And I get there, and the Lord says, plead the blood of Jesus over yourself and your children. Okay. I plead the blood of Jesus over me and my children. Thank you, Lord. And I go up to her apartment, and I am then enabled to hear the spiritual conversation that's going on in her apartment. And I heard this man's voice say, here she is again, coming to drag you off to that church. And she, I couldn't really hear much what she was saying. Yeah, it's okay, blah, blah, blah. So she's having this conversation. I'm like, what is that, Lord? Because <laughs> I didn't know. What am I hearing? But you know what? I had no fear. None. I had complete and total confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ to protect me and to keep me. And I recognized, and the Lord's like, yeah, that's a demon. Yes, she's oppressed. <laughs> and so I, I went into her apartment. I said, um, so, who are you talking to? She's like, well, there's nobody here. I'm pretty sure I just heard you talking to somebody. No, nope, no, you didn't. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Let's go to church. <laughs> the Lord made it very clear to me, I have nothing to fear. The blood of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient to protect me and to keep me safe from all evil, from all bugbear, real or imagined. The real ones are just as powerless as the fake ones. Think about that. The real ones are just as powerless as the imaginary ones. They don't have power over us, and we don't need to be afraid of them. Galatians 5.22 says this, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. There is no fear in the Spirit. None. That's why He doesn't want us to be walking in the darkness and in fear.
Ephesians 5, 8 says, And ye were sometimes, which means a long time ago, ye were a long time ago, darkness. But now ye are light. Walk as children of the light. Ephesians 5, 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. That's what we're supposed to be walking in. That's the evidence. That's what's produced by the Holy Spirit. John 6, 63 in the ESV says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The I love this. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. I want to give you just quickly how this process that I learned worked. Whatever emotion or fear that you feel, you just concentrate on that. You say, Lord, show me where it's coming from. Most fears and pains often come from incidences like the bugbear that Sarah had. They receive information that's not true. And, but because it's never addressed, they grow up with fears of closets. <laughs> fears that even as adults, there might be something under the bed. <laughs> so you concentrate on how this feeling makes you feel, whether it's pain or grief, heartache, it doesn't matter what it is. Fear, Lord, what does it make you feel like? And you say, Lord, where does this come from? Show me. And you let Jesus show you. You don't go try to figure things out in your head. And he'll take you to the place it began. And you, you check if it's a memory. You check, does that memory feel like I feel right now? And if it does, you know you're in the right place. If you do this and you only go back a little ways and it feels the same, you probably need to go back a little farther. Sometimes Jesus plays leapfrog. <laughs> he says, see this feeling? It was here, and then it was back here, and then it was back here. And so you just keep follow, you just follow Jesus. You just keep the emotion in, aware. So when you get to whatever memory you're in, in this case, if Sarah had gone back to the bugbear incident, <laughs> she might have said, I'm afraid. That's always the key question. Why am I afraid? Okay, I recognize I'm afraid, but why? And she may have said, I'm afraid the bear is going to kill me. Well, she's afraid of death. Jesus would speak a truth to her, and instantly the fear and the pain goes away. Now you might say, well, that's just too easy. I have seen this work hundreds of times, hundreds of times. People who have been in fear and torment and pain, people whose relationships were broken because of wounds inflicted by other people, be instantly delivered after years and years and years simply because they heard the spoken word of Christ addressing what they were actually afraid of, what was actually causing them pain. The reason this came up recently is because a friend of mine who lives far away, she recently had an incident where she used this method, not for uh, going back in time. She had a present reality thing happen to her that brought great, great pain. And she did all the things she knew to do. She got out her boots and her bat, and she went after this and said, no, I'm not going to be afraid. No, you're not going to torment me. No, you're not going to do this. But it just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. She did all the right things we tell people to do. Resist the fear. Absolutely resist. But if you're not winning, there's a reason. If you're resisting pain, if you're resisting heartache, if you're resisting even sorrow, and it's not dissipating. 
There's a reason. So what she did was she asked the Lord, because she kept seeing this event. And she wasn't even there when the event happened. And so she said, okay, Lord, I keep seeing this anyway. Show me where you are in this. Show me the truth of this situation. Because this is killing me. And he showed up. And all he did was show her the truth. That's all he did. This is the amazing thing about Jesus. If we will let him enter into our imagination, if he, we will let him use the faculties that we have, it may just be a picture, but he's still real. And he really releases people from their pain and their sorrow. He really does. When Jesus spoke to her, instantly, like a light switch, no more fear, no more torment. No more pain. It's the kind of miracle you see in the Bible. And it's easy. In fact, her brain went, this can't be right. Because <laughs> she's like, where did it go? Where did it go? It is important that we know it can be that easy. I need to tell you one more story before I let you go. When Mark Testerman decided that he understood that I was supposed to be his bride, we worked at the same place. He came to me and he made his intentions known. I want to start a relationship. And basically it was a proposal to get married later. <laughs> because we both knew, neither one of us believed in typical dating. We didn't believe in try before you buy. We, I knew, he knew. And so he said, okay, I'm making my intentions known. I want to do this. And everything in me went, Oh, scary! <laughs> Bugbear! Oh, <it's> scary! <laughs> I had been so hurt in my first marriage. The last thing I ever wanted to do was have to go and repeat that. So I knew it was God's will. I knew God had chosen him. But when it came right to it, it scared the bejeebies out of me. <laughs> and so I went, Lord, this is, this is wrong. <laughs> I should be happy, not scared out of my mind. So I took this feeling to the Lord. You see, if I have a feeling, if I have fear, if I have pain, and it's not going away, I need Jesus to address it. I need to hear the spoken word of God. The word says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. That's a rhema. That's not scripture. It does not say man shall live by every scripture that proceeds from the mouth of God. It says every rhema, every spoken word is what we live by. Jesus didn't live by the scripture. He lived by the indwelling spirit, the spoken word of his father every second of every day. That's the kind of relationship we have and need to walk in. So I said, okay, show me what the problem is here. I know what I'm afraid of, but I don't know how to fix it. And so he uses our imagination. It's called seeing in the spirit. <laughs> it's called hearing in the spirit. As we practice this, you'll be able to see in front of you and in the spirit at the same time. Like the day when we were here, I saw Jesus go around and start ministering. I saw it, the spirit and the natural at the same time. That's how we're supposed to walk. That's how we're supposed to live. So he gave me a picture. And in this picture, I'm a little girl, probably five or six, and I'm all dolled up. I mean, I have the foofy dress and the patent leather shoes. You know, I am adorable. <laughs> and I'm, I'm about to go out on this stage. And I'm like, I know I'm all ready. 
I'm scared. I'm scared to go out there. And there's these big, giant hands pushing me. <laughs> and I'm resisting being pushed. And I said, how can you do this? How can you push me like this? And he said, it's because I know into whose hands I'm pushing you. I know his heart. And I trust him with your heart. Instantly, all fear left. All fear left. I never had that apprehension ever again. You see, I knew I couldn't trust my ability to pick. <laughs> but I knew I could trust my father's ability to pick. The truth sets us free. And it is the truth of his spoken word. And he loves to, it will be especially for you. But it takes practice. It takes time. Ignoring is not resisting. Ignoring is not resisting. So often, we're too busy. We're too busy. Jesus, you'll, you'll just have to fix it. I'm busy right now. <laughs> no, it doesn't go away. Time does not heal all wounds. Jesus heals all wounds. So we get to decide. If we are hurting, if we are in fear, we, that's the alarm clock. <laughs> it's time to get up and put on our boots and grab our bat. And it's time to let Jesus kill all the bugbears in our lives. We don't have to be afraid. He doesn't want us to be afraid. We can overcome. And it's all about hearing the spoken word of God, addressing the real reasons we're afraid or hurt. In Jesus' name, we can do all things. Amen. Amen.